Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cove Church, and Happy New Year. So great to be with you today as uh, we enter this whole new season, right, of 2023 and all that that means. I, I do hope that your holidays were merry and bright and filled with all the best things that the holidays can bring, which for many of us often includes family gatherings, don't they? Um, we had lots of that going on in our life. In fact, we went up to Washington between Christmas and New Year's, which is where Paula's family is from, and got to spend time with family up there, including a, a party at her Aunt Nancy's house, an annual Christmas event where there is a white elephant gift exchange and lots of cousins around, uh, a great event. And uh, the white elephant is always the most interesting to me, especially that one. It always has a, a great variety of gifts that can appear. And so this year, what we came home with was this pair of socks. You'll see that on the screen. That is a picture of Paula's brother Kyle's face on those socks. And that is what we came home with, one of the gifts that we came home with. So big win in the White Elephant gift department. I don't know exactly how to feel about that. You know, when I wear those socks, will it be like, you know, stepping on his face? I'm not sure. Do I wear them when I'm angry at Kyle? I'm not sure what to do with them, but I thought that, that was a great take-home gift. Um, so lots of fun and unique experiences always when it comes to being with family, which would make me uh, want to just lead us in a quick poll when it comes to that subject. Um, when you think of families, the words that you would ascribe to your family, your family experience, uh, would it be A, great? Would it be B, challenging? That's a word you'd connect to that. Would it be C, they're complicated, or D, all of the above. I can't tell what you're voting on out there, but I have a feeling that for many of us, all of the above might be the answer that comes forward. Because when it comes to family, it tends to be a mix, doesn't it? This source of great joy can also be a source of great pain. Uh, and it can be complicated. Now, if you think your family is complicated, consider the marriage mayhem that was created when 76-year-old Bill Baker of London married Edna Harvey. She happened to be, now get this, his granddaughter's husband's mother. Okay, That's where the confusion began, according to Baker's granddaughter, who said, my mother-in-law is now my step-grandmother, my grandfather is now my stepfather-in-law. My mom is my sister-in-law, and my brother is my nephew. But even crazier, she says, now I am married to my uncle, and my own children are my cousins. <laughs> All that to say, relationships can be complicated. Yet, if there is something that matters in life, if there is something that actually lasts into eternity, it is the relationships that we develop in this, this season of life, this, this vapor, this breath that we call a human lifetime. In the end, stuff doesn't matter. We don't take it with us. 
Position doesn't matter. We will all one day bow to the great I am. Accomplishment doesn't matter. We will all lay down our crowns before the king of kings. No, in the end, all that will matter is relationships. As Jesus said, do I know you or not? Will you love people and love God or not? So it would seem that the scripture clearly shows us a bias towards this essential quality of relationship. And that's really the trick, isn't it? Because of, as we've all experienced, relationships bring about struggles. And I would argue that, that every struggle we face in life will boil down to relationships, either our relationship with God, our relationship with others, or our relationship with ourselves. You can all point right back to that. And let's face it, as people, in terms of success in relationships, to various degrees, we're struggling. We have some wins, sure, but I think we can all say we have some losses. So gratefully, that's right where Jesus wants to help us today, to give us some tools, some keys to healthy relationships, some wisdom that will guide us in this most important and most eternal work of our lives. Jesus does this throughout the scripture, but what we'll look at today stands out as one of, I think, the most striking and the most challenging directives given by Christ regarding how we relate to one another. And it's in this passage that we will find some keys to healthy relationships that I think will help us in 2023. Here's the first thing. First thing is that healthy relationships engage the cycle of grace. They engage the cycle of grace. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, starting verses 1 and 2, right where you are. Let's read it together. Big voices, go. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Friends, there's really two ways that we can choose to walk through life. I can walk through life as a debt collector or as an award giver. A debt collector or as an award giver. Think about those two roles. Think about the very different phone calls you would have to make if that was your job. The debt collector, when they make a call, they say, hi, is, is this Jim? Yes, it's Jim. Uh, Jim, here's what you've done. I have the records here. Here's what you owe. You owe quite a bit. If you don't pay, there is more pain that is coming to you. There's legal action. There's additional fines, perhaps even jail. So Jim, you need to pay up. I'm calling to make sure you know your deficiency and you make this right. And the person lives as a debt collector. And all day, every day, that debt collector makes those calls, pointing out the problems, amplifying the pain. But the award giver uh, they make a very different set of calls in their day. Her call sounds like this. Hi, is this Jim? Yes, this is Jim. Jim, I'm happy to inform you that you have won a huge award, one that will in fact change your life. In fact, the team is on its way to you right now with balloons and confetti and a big cardboard check. It's incredible, and I have the privilege of letting you know about this incredible event. That is that person's entire job. The question is this, if you had a choice between those two jobs, which would you pick? Which would you want? 
Because, yes, we can, we, we can actually choose the job of letting people know that they have won the award in our life. But sadly, many of us choose the job of debt collectors. We could choose to go through life letting people know about this amazing gift in front of them, or we can go through life collecting debts from those around us. All of us have a choice of which way we're going to go through life. We can, we can go through life and we can say to people, you hurt me, I need you to pay up, you fell short of my expectation, so here's what you owe. And some of us live out our entire lives that way. Everywhere we go, making sure people know how much they hurt me, how much they wounded me, how much they failed me. And sometimes, I get it, there are honest conversations that are critical to moving forward with people. But the problem is we end up making that our entire job. Making sure that others feel regret and they feel our disapproval and they feel the shame. And that person may or may not change, but a greater issue is the fact that when I live that way, it's not bringing healing to me. It's only bringing further harm, and here's why. Shame does not heal. Only grace does. Shame does not heal. Only grace does. We think this way often. If, if I can get to that person who hurt me, if I, can, if I can make them feel bad, then I will feel better. If I can judge them more harshly, if I can re reveal their weaknesses more accurately, then, then I'll win. But the more I live to apply shame to others, the more I start to feel the weight of that shame on me. That's what this passage is telling us. Oh yes, I can live as a bill collector, but I just get to know that whatever bills I send out to you, I'll be matched by the bills that are being sent to me. Shame doesn't heal. Only grace does. And this is what we must understand. Mercy is not getting what I deserve, and grace is getting what I don't deserve. So if my life is an ice cream truck, what flavor am I putting out there? What flavor am I serving? Am I serving the bitter flavor of judgment or the sweet flavor of grace? If our relationships are going to be healthy, they must not exist in the cycle of judgment. They must instead engage the cycle of grace. Instead of being on this hamster wheel of judgment where I judge you and then you judge me and then I judge you again and you judge me again, I judge you harshly, you judge me harshly, living in this perpetual motion machine of pain, Jesus says, I need you to reverse it. That you would offer grace to another so they can in turn offer grace to you. And another event happens and you choose grace, making it much easier for them to choose grace in return. Now, let me pause there because I know in saying that, we understand that the grace that we offer to another person does not guarantee that they will offer grace in response. There's no guarantees there because every person chooses their own path. But what does happen is this. When I choose to offer grace to another, I place myself where I can experience God's grace for me. When I choose to offer grace to another, I place myself where I can experience God's grace for me. That in showing love to another, I experience God's love for me. And if there is something I need desperately, 
It's God's grace for me. This is the new cycle Jesus calls us to in relationships based on this truth that Jesus is bringing. If we want to experience grace, we must give grace. If we want to experience judgment, well, then we can just keep on judging. But healthy relationships will engage the cycle of grace. The first thing, here's the second thing. Healthy relationships walk the path of humility. Let's continue the passage, Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. Big voices, go. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Friends, ultimately judgment is an enemy to relationship in this way. Judgment when we posture ourselves in judgment, it essentially says this to another person, that you are not enough for me. And because of that, you are no longer deserving of my care for you. Your behavior, your character, it it doesn't meet my mark. It doesn't meet my expectation. And that makes you lesser than me. And I see you now as damaged goods, not worthy of my love. That is what my judgment says to you. The problem is this. God never says that to us. God never says that to us. We somehow got this idea that we're supposed to live to point out the failure of others, especially if we're like church folks. Yes, that's what we've got to do. Got to live to point out the failures of others as if, as if we need help seeing our failures. <laughs> failures are easy to see. Oh, we see our own failures so clearly. Nobody has to point those out to us. I was uh, taking down the Christmas lights uh, somewhere around New Year's. I don't remember which day, but, but taking down the Christmas lights on the porch, we had all these different things there, and I had this extension cord that was running along, and, and I had unplugged everything it was tied to. I was coiling up this extension cord. What I didn't know is uh, one of the neighborhood cats had decided that that would be a great place to, to use the bathroom, like right on the extension cord. And so I'm coiling up this extension cord, not thinking about it, and suddenly I encounter cat poop all over, Right? No one had to tell me that was there. No one had to say, hey, did you notice there's cat poop all over you now? (laughs) I was very much aware of what was going on there. I was aware of that failure. No one had to tell me about that failure. It was real plain to see. Our failures in our own lives, they speak loudly, they smell strongly, and we hear them at a higher volume than anyone else does, our own failures. We carry our failures then, and we we think that that's somehow God's best, that that's God's desire for us. But what we really end up with is just an exhaustion by the weight of our own failure, and we end up further from the one who wants to free us. And God's answer to that sense of shame and failure is this. Jesus says, come all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, remember, shame doesn't heal. Only grace does. And there is a work that God wants to do in all of our lives 
He does want to bring healing to our lousy decisions and our selfish actions and the sin that so easily besets each of us. We know all about that stuff in our lives, but the answer is not adding the weights of shame and crawling about because of that. The answer is picking up the grace of Christ, the yoke of Jesus that's easy, the burden that's light. Jesus says, come each of you who aren't enough, which is all of us. And Jesus says, I want to make you enough by my grace. See, those in Christ are viewed through Christ's righteousness, not their own. That's the point. Is being found in Jesus, in relationship with Jesus. This is the good news of grace given for all of us. So that, what that means is that, that when I posture myself in a judgment over you, that really doesn't have a place in God's kingdom. It doesn't have a place in my relationships because I realize ultimately, here's the humility, I realize I'm a worse sinner than you. <laughs> I, I, the Apostle Paul said he was the greatest of sinners. Now, I think I could give the guy a run for his money. I'm pretty sure I could, but I, you know, who knows? But he said he was the greatest of all sinners, the biggest, the, the, the most sinful of sinners. This is the, how we're supposed to approach all of our relationships. This is what will affect the way we interact. Now, this doesn't mean we stop discerning the fruit in each other's lives or go blind to patterns of, of unhealth and, 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 and pain in the lives of those that are near us. No, we don't just, just, just stop looking at those things. What it does mean is this. We recognize that at the cross, Christ paid for the sin of judgment itself. For all of God's judgment was placed upon him there, and therefore my judgment must be crucified as well. Here's what I mean. There's a story of some pioneers, covered wagon, going across the plains, you know, the grassy plains in the Midwest. Oxen, they're moving slow. And they can see to the west uh, a line of fire, smoke, heading towards them. The, the wind was moving strong from the west to the east. Now, they had passed a river miles ago, but there's no way they could get back to it. They can just see, they know these flames are headed towards them, and they have no escape. No one really knew what to do. They're starting to panic. The horses are starting to get anxious. But one of the leaders had an idea. He said, we're going we're gonna to set fire to the grass that's behind us, to the east of us. We're going to set fire to all of that, let that burn up, and then we're going to move all of our wagon train onto that fire, that place that the fire had already been. And so as the flames roared toward them from the, the west and then moved around this place, started to, to, to wrap around them, there was a little child that went up to that leader and said, uh, aren't we going to be burned up by this flame that is coming towards us? And the leader's reply was this, my child, the flames cannot reach us here for we are standing where the fire has already been. Friends, the fires of judgment burned themselves out on Christ at the cross. And all who are in Christ are safe forever, for they are now standing where the fire has already been. 
If, if God's judgment has been consumed by Christ, then we who are in Christ can no longer walk in judgment against each other. Jesus seems to display this kind of no-tolerance policy towards judgment. He makes it so clear, do not judge. The words are, are very, very clear. Now, it doesn't mean we're unwise. We still need discernment. We still need to evaluate the, the fruit of our choices. We get to encourage each other towards God's best. The difference is we refuse to believe that we can fully know the heart of another person. And because of that, we are just totally unqualified for judgment. We just aren't equipped for it. I remember years ago, uh, our first place we were youth pastors at, they're doing a building project. So on weekends, they would have teams come and, and do stuff in this uh, building stuff. And I remember it came to my first work party, you know, and I, I had this, this hammer it had it come with one of those kits. It's like for putting up picture nails, you know. It's a really little, teeny little hammer, and but that was my only hammer. So I came with that, you know, ready to go. I'm here to help, and we're putting up like drywall, you know, nailing in drywall. And so one of the old timers is there. He's like, yeah, just start to put nails down on this drywall, and I've got one of the drywall nails. I'm like, ding, 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 ding. You know, I'm just just wailing on this thing. It's not moving. This nail's not moving. And after about. 20 shots of me trying to hit this nail, that old timer looks up at me and goes, man, do you plan to scare them in with that hammer? You're going to scare the nails in with that? <laughs> and I didn't feel a great deal of respect for my hammer at that point, but I, I, I knew what he was saying. I was very much ill-equipped for the work at hand. I eventually got a hold of a way better hammer. We are exceedingly ill-equipped for judging the hearts of one another. That's just the truth. Scripture tells us that our heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? If I can't know my own heart, how can I judge yours? F.B. Meyer said this. He said, if I see a brother or sister in sin, there are two things I do not know. First, I do not know how hard he or she tried not to sin. And second, I don't know the power of the forces that assailed him or her. It is then impossible to know what I would have done in their place. We are so ill-equipped for judgment, and yet we're so quick to do so, aren't we? I'm so quick to point out the speck in your eye while this giant plank remains in mine. So what's the solution? We get to walk in humility that none of us are so different from the lives of those who have fallen greatly, nor are we immune to falling the same way. So I offer grace to you, knowing how desperately I need it myself. The posture for helping someone walk through the pain of sin is never standing over them in smug arrogance, but it's kneeling beside them with a shared broken heart. That's what God's inviting us to, how he wants us to relate to each other. I am not equipped to judge. It does not mean we wink at the painful outcomes of sin. No, we address them, we engage them, we love people enough to not sit by and watch them to destroy themselves and others. But here's the truth. We must allow another circumstance to remind us of our own requirement of grace, not to fuel the myth that we have somehow outgrown our own need for it. 
This means I realize in all of this, in my relationships, that the one who needs to change most is me. I'm the one with the plank in my eye. The workplace that God is always calling me to first is me. If our relationships are going to be healthy, they must walk the path of humility. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. Healthy relationships discern wise investment. Let's finish out the passage. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. For the longest time, I was unsure how this verse connected to the rest of this passage. We're talking about not judging each other, and suddenly we're talking about pigs and pearls and dogs. So what's the connection? The connection here is this. When we go through this process of engaging the cycle of grace and walking the path of humility, admitting to God that I have tons of planks to pull out of my own eyes, I got two by fours to remove before I can even address yours. But as we say yes to that work, the time will come, as the passage says, when God will say, now I can use you to help pull out a tiny sliver from your friend's eye, okay? Now you're ready, I can, I can use you to just do this little teeny work. So here's the connection to the pig thing. God's saying, when you do that work of pulling out that tiny sliver, when you go to help another, be very wise in who you bring that help be very wise in the people you invest in to help bring about their healing. Because each of us, we need this miraculous discernment from God regarding who God is asking us to invest in. We all know that there's tons of folks in need around us. We, and, 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 and we know that we'd like to help all those people and we, all, we know we all need help, right? Anywhere you look, there's someone in need you can't throw a rock without encountering a person lacking in some way. So we must then seek God's wisdom to help us know out of all the people in the world, who am I supposed to help? How am I supposed to help? Because if we don't get God's direction here, we will end up in trouble for this reason. Investing into people without God's wisdom not only lessens our ability to help them, it increases the chances of them hurting us. Now, does this mean we don't try to help people? Absolutely not. This is the heart of God, is to help people. But we must match God's compassion with God's wisdom. Sometimes it's been wrong understood in this passage that it's saying that certain people don't deserve the good things of God as though some people just aren't worthy of God's goodness. That's not what Jesus is saying here. God so loved the whole world, so everybody is, is, is in line for the love of God. So think of it this way. What does a pig eat? I've never owned a pig, but I've you know, watched some pig movies, I guess, along the way. It seems like they eat slop. They eat veggies, leftovers from the table. One thing I've never seen people come out with a bucket of is jewelry to their pigs, you know, watches, necklaces, pearls. No one gives a, a bucket of, of jewelry to the pigs when it's time to feed them. Why? The pig is incapable of digesting those things. 
A bucket full of pearls, the pig can't digest a pearl. Now you may think that pearl is great and that pearl is valuable, but the pig can do nothing with it. In fact, if you try feeding a pig a bunch of stuff that is not their food, they will eventually start to look for anything that looks like food to them, and the closest thing is you. That's where things can go wrong. See, when we bypass this discernment from God in terms of who we are investing our lives into, we risk opening ourselves up to unnecessary pain because instead of giving them something that they can use and digest, we give them pearls that will only end up frustrating them. And without God's wisdom, we will see minimal fruit in the lives of those we're trying to help, and we will bear the scars of those efforts in our own lives. God never says don't invest in people. God says invest in the people I've called you to invest in. God says trust me to guide you into who you're going to pour your life into because I have given you the right food for that person, not every person, but for that person. So trust me to guide you here. But here's the struggle. If you're like me, I, I want to try to help everybody. I want to feed everybody. I don't want to say no to anybody. But God says, I want you to invest in the people I'm calling you to because the food I have given you will only work for them. If you give that food to somebody else, guess what? <laughs> They're going to bite you. And I don't know about you, but I've got some scars from that. Maybe you do too. And I think we could all use some wisdom regarding who we invest our lives into. And God wants to give us just that. Because healthy relationships discern wise investment. I'll wrap up with this. Um, as a teenager, I had friends that were baseball players and sometimes they would say, let's go, let's go do a home run derby. We'd go to one of the local little league fields. We'd have some baseballs. We'd have big aluminum bats. One of them was called the thumpers, I would call it. It was a really big bat designed to hit balls a long, long way. And when you had a home run derby, there was a difference in the pitchers. Some pitchers pitched to show me how hard they could throw, but other pitchers pitch to find out how far we could hit. Some just came and brought the heat because they wanted to strike us out, but some pitched in such a way that it was very possible to hit a home run off of them. Well, who did I want to pitch to me? This wasn't a pitching derby, this was a home run derby. So I would always ask for the pitchers to be the ones that wanted to find out how far I could hit. Friends, people don't need us to give them chances to fail and to remind them of, the of their failure. They need us to give them a chance to hit. They need us to be about watching what it would look like for them to hit a home run in their life. The relationships that God is calling us to ultimately believe the best in other people because that's what God believes about you. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the one who began a good work in us and that Jesus is the one who is faithful to complete it. God's not done with you and God's not done with the people in your life. 
even with the ones that make you frustrated, the ones that make you crazy. So engage the cycle of grace. Walk the path of humility and seek God for discernment regarding who to pour your life out into. If we can live this out, our relationships will change for the good. And when all is said and done, it will only be our relationships that matter. They matter now and they matter for eternity. So let's allow God to help us make them healthy. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.